Good morning. God's grace, his mercy, and his peace are yours in abundance, all because of Jesus. Amen. If this is your first time with us, uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series. It's the Ten Commandments series, and this week is the Fourth Commandment. It's a very special commandment. Every commandment is special, but this one is special for a couple reasons. So let's get the words of the Fourth Commandment up on the screen, and let's read this together. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. When Martin Luther, the church reformer, wrote about this commandment, he said it was special because it was the first commandment with a promise. And you can see the promise with the word that. It's marked twice in there. You honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you and so that you may enjoy long life on the earth. God promises to do those things when you honor your father and mother. But the fourth commandment is special for another reason. It's special because it acts as sort of a turning point. The first three commandments are all about how we treat God, our relationship with God. And now the rest of the commandments from 4 to 10 are going to deal with how we treat other people. This is the first one in that list, in that series. But the fourth commandment is special for one more reason. It's because moms and dads are special to us. We have very special days set out for them every single year to celebrate moms and dads, Mother's Day and Father's Day. We wouldn't be here if it weren't for them. Physically, we would not be here if it were not for our mothers and our fathers. And in many cases, spiritually, we would not be here if it weren't for our mothers and our fathers. They led by example, and they brought us to church for the first time, probably. But we don't always treat parents as special or as blessings in our lives, do we? We can all think of many, many times where we've griped or complained about our parents being too close or too far away or not understanding or saying that they understand too much about our lives. We don't honor them. We don't respect them the way that God calls us to in this commandment. That's just in our families. As we've established with the first two readings, there are many other authorities that God has placed in our lives confession time here. How many people have been pulled over? I have. What are your first thoughts when you see those lights in your rearview mirror? Probably not the best types of thoughts about that police officer, right? Or you jump on social media and it doesn't take long to see how people talk about our government and treat our government or other world leaders too. Do you always talk about your boss in the best light or take his words and actions in the kindest possible way? We don't want to honor authority at all. We don't, we don't honor those that God has placed over us. And really, when we do that, we're saying, God, I don't want to honor you. You aren't close enough or you're too close. You don't understand what I'm going through, so... I'm just going to do my own thing because that's what's better if I make the rules instead of you. Honoring is hard. 
whether we're dealing with a perfect, all-knowing God or imperfect human authorities in government, in church, in our personal lives, honoring is really, really hard. (laughs) And the reason it's hard is because honoring involves obedience, which involves submission, which involves giving up our selfish desires to be selfless. Our sinful heart of hearts is selfish at its very core. We want to obey me, myself, and I, and no one else. And even when we do obey, it can be for selfish reasons, to avoid punishment or to just get someone to stop nagging about doing whatever they want. That can never be said about Jesus, though. Jesus always perfectly and joyfully obeyed the authority that was in his life. And he leads our hearts to do the same thing, to obey the authority in our lives joyfully. He takes us away from sinful disobedience and and law-based obedience that tries to get away from punishment, and he leads us to joyfully obey. He does that by leaving behind examples for us in the Bible. And one such example, a very vibrant example, comes to us from the book of Luke, from Luke chapter 2. Luke 2 is a, is a special chapter. It gives us a very detailed look into the early life of Jesus, starting with his birth, going to his presentation at the temple, and then the closing section, the closing verses, really give us the only look into the adolescent life of Jesus Christ. And so let's look there. We'll start with verse 41 and go all the way to verse 48 to start. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, and then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. But when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. This trip to Jerusalem, it was an annual family trip and not just the immediate family of Jesus and Mary and Joseph, but the whole extended clan, like, like the movie Home Alone. The whole family gathers together, and they're ready to go, down to go up to Jerusalem and then come back after they observe the Passover and celebrate there. Only this year, it's a little different, because 12-year-old Jesus decides to stay in Jerusalem somehow without anyone finding out. And so now you have another home alone-esque problem where the son is left alone. But Mary and Joseph, they didn't have phones. They didn't have airplanes. They had camels and they had word-of-mouth communication. 
So after a day of traveling down and out of Jerusalem, then there's the realization, a day of traveling back into Jerusalem, and then a day of frantically searching all around the city, the biggest city in, in Israel at the time, they, they are frantic. They are frustrated. They're a little confused. <laughs> Jesus has been missing for three days. Imagine if a child of someone very well-known, a world leader, would go missing. One of the president's children or the, the child of Prince William in England. There would be mass chaos in the media. Three days and there would be helicopters flying all over the place. And probably it's only Mary and Joseph and some of their family members looking for the lost savior of the world. But finally, they find their savior son in the temple of all places. And yes, 12-year-old boys were preparing to become men at age 13 with their bar mitzvahs, but it'd be kind of odd for a boy to just decide to go into the temple and start talking with all the religious minds and leaders of that time. And more than just hold his own, he was outwitting them. He was astonishing them. He was surprising them with how much he knew and the questions that he asked. So it's a little bit odd, but Mary and Joseph are confused and they're frustrated. You can hear it in Mary's voice in verse 48. Son, why have you treated us like this? Who is at fault when a child gets left behind? Was Jesus at fault for staying in Jerusalem or is it Mary and Joseph? Hmm. Parents, when you leave something behind, whether it's a child or or something else that's absolutely necessary for the trip, what's your first knee-jerk reaction? Or children, if you get left behind or your parents forget something that you absolutely needed on this trip, what's your first thought? I know on trips when I've left something behind, thankfully I've never been left behind anywhere, Um, but I usually get angry at myself And then I immediately deflect because it can't be all my fault. I mean, I had my mom, my dad, I had four sisters to double and triple check for me. I mean, there's no way I'm completely liable for this happening. Had to be my sisters. And I I think that's where Mary is right now. Deep down, she knows that she failed as a mother. But it can't be all her fault. And so she says, Jesus, why have you treated us this way? Why have you hurt us in in such a way? Jesus, why, why did you do this? Mary looks to deflect, but let's look at Jesus' response that comes in verse 49. Why were you even searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? When Jesus leads us to joyful obedience, he leads us to that first and foremost obedience we must have, and that's obedience to our Heavenly Father and His Heavenly Father. Some translations, instead of saying, in my Father's house, 
say that Jesus had to be about his father's business. I think that's the old King James Version. And either way you take it, you get to the same point that Jesus, in keeping with the fourth commandment, had to be doing what his Father in heaven asked. And that doesn't mean he disrespected his parents at all. He still obeyed them. He still respected them. But for those three days, God the Father wanted his Son to be in his house discussing and questioning about the, the religious leaders in, at, the, at that time. You see, God is the highest authority that we could ever have in our lives and nothing ever changes that. I think Mary forgot that for a second. She wanted to be the end-all, be-all in Jesus' life. But Jesus reminds her that No, there's another chain of command that goes up. And parents, I can imagine it's hard to remember that sometimes. That you are not the ultimate end-all, be-all. That's that's God. And that means that sometimes on the surface, it might appear that your children will disobey. Some people say that Jesus was disobedient here. But Jesus was really just jumping that level in in the chain of command. He wasn't disobeying Mary and Joseph to be haughty or rude or, or unloving to his parents. He did this to teach us and to remind Mary and Joseph of who he really was, whose son he really was, whose children we really are. First and foremost, we are God's children. And so there might come a time where your child, or maybe you as a child, said something that your parents did not exactly agree with. Maybe as an example, a a teenager says that they don't want to get a job because it would cut into their time at youth group. That's probably hard for a parent to hear, especially when they want to guide them in in the right ways to prepare for the financial burdens that are coming later in life. But if you think about it, if you pray about it, that could be an appeal to that higher authority, to that next level, to the highest level, looking to what God wants for them. What I'm not saying is this. Kids, go home and tell your parents off and just say, I'm appealing to God. He's got, he's got my back. Wrong idea. But what I am saying is that God still wants us to keep these commandments. Jesus kept them perfectly for our salvation, but God still paves a road by giving us these commandments, and this road blesses us, and it keeps us safe. Think of speed limits again. Speed limits are not there to act as an annoyance for you driving, even though that's how I look at them sometimes. And they're not there as a benchmark to say, all right, this is the absolute slowest I can go and then I go 15 over so that I can get somewhere faster. That's why I got pulled over. (laughs) They're there to protect us. They're there to keep us safe. They're fine-tuned to be the absolute safest speed possible to keep you and everyone else on the road safe. And the same can be said about curfews, 
about study time, about chores, about homework, about anything else that parents or authorities give us. They are there because our authorities care about us, they love us, and they want to keep us safe. God calls parents to act on his behalf for our good. And as those rebellious, sinful, selfish people, it's hard to see that sometimes. But Mary and Joseph were called to act for the good of Jesus. Even as sinful parents, parenting a perfect, literally perfect child, they were called to act on Jesus' behalf and act for his good. And after Jesus gives his response to, his, to say he had to be in his father's house, look at verse 50. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. I think just about every child has said these words at some point in their lives. You don't understand me. You don't get it. As if a parent has never been a child before. And we imagine that Jesus is about to flip the tables over because Mary and Joseph don't understand him. They don't even, they they don't get it. But Jesus still treats them with love and respect. He honors them. He counts sinful parents as a blessing in his life, not a burden, not something that's holding him back. They are blessing him. Just because parents don't understand doesn't mean they're less worthy of love and honor. And so, we all have sinful parents. We're all sinful children. But what does it look like when we honor our parents in our lives? For teenagers and young children, it might mean, or or what's the reaction when your parents say, put down the phone, put down the video games, and come eat or go clean your room? They're doing that for your good. Or maybe as you're older, if your parents would say, you know, the person, the people you're hanging around, they don't seem like the best fit for you. They say that because they love you. They say that because they want to see you safe. And as we get older and older, we keep seeing how those things turn out and we look back and we say, that was for my good. That did keep me safe. Sometimes we didn't honor it and we saw the, what came of it. God wants us to honor our parents by respecting what they say because, and understanding that it's all because they love us, not because they're out to get us. And we can say that in other walks of life, in other authority situations. Think about the next time you get pulled over. I'm not hoping that it happens to you. I'm just, there might be another time when that happens. Thank that police officer. Instead of grumbling and complaining that you got caught, thank him for keeping the roads safe and protecting other people from crazy drivers like you. The reaction that you get might be a bit startling to him and, and for you. Or the next time you see a report of something that uh, the president did or some other politician did and you're ready to jump on social media and rip them apart, 
pray for him. Pray for them that their work would be a blessing to you and a blessing to all people. Their jobs are, are, are high positions. They have high positions that come with high consequences, high responsibility, and parents are the same thing. Think about the, the honor that God gives to parents just by making them parents, by making a man or woman a world leader. God calls us to honor them. We could go on and on and on about what honoring authority looks like in classrooms or in churches or in home life even more. And the way Jesus leads us to honor God and honor our parents, well, it leads to an amazing thing. We see Jesus doing an amazing thing in the closing verses. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus went back home and he obeyed his parents. Not just his father, but his parents. Do you notice there's no asterisk or fine print next to the fourth commandment? Nothing that says, honor them as long as they fill in the blank. Honor them, but, on, but then if they don't do this, no, we just honor them. If they're old, if they don't remember who we are, if they're steeped in sin and, and you're the perfect son of God, you honor the authority that God has put in your life. And Jesus did that perfectly in his home, in the government, his church. He obeyed every sinful person that was put in authority over him in the world, and he took that perfection to the cross. He obeyed the authority there, being put to death. Even though the, the leaders were sinful in Jesus' life, he still obeyed them. He still saw them as a blessing. And in our lives, seeing parents who are sinful, leaders who are sinful, doesn't mean we honor them less. It means we love them more because we get to give them forgiveness more and more and we honor them for that. When we honor the mothers and the fathers who are in our lives, God promises to bless us. And he blesses us by increasing grace, love, faith in our lives to be reliant on him and on his son to bring us to heaven. And he continues to bless us with the perfect authorities to be in our lives at the right time. He also shows us Jesus. Most importantly, he shows us Jesus who leads us into an obedience that is different than anything else we've ever experienced. In closing, I want you to think about the last time that it was really hard for you to obey someone. Or maybe a time in your life that was the most difficult for you to obey someone. And think about why it was so difficult for you to obey. Was it because you didn't really like the person or what they were doing in their lives and so you didn't obey them? Or was it because you didn't like what they wanted you to do Either way, 
obeying and honoring authority is hard. Especially when you're dealing with people you, don't, you would rather not deal with or doing things you would rather not do. How did that situation turn out? Just think back. If you disobeyed, what did you do with the guilt? What are you doing with the guilt and the shame and the regret that you had or still have? There's going to be a lot more disobedience in your life because naturally we, we buck at authority. There are going to be many more times that you catch yourself and go, missed out again. But when you find yourself at the crossroads of, of honoring or disobeying and you're not sure what to do, here's one big question that you can take home to ask yourself. How am I going to let Jesus help me? Whether you realize it after the fact that you disobeyed, how can you let Jesus help, help you? By letting him forgive you. If you're before the fact, pray to Jesus. Pray to Jesus that he would lead your heart to a joyful place, to a better place, to see the joyful obedience that awaits you. And he'll honor that prayer. He'll honor it so that even when we are dealing with people who are difficult to honor or your heart is stuck in wanting to disobey, disobey, you can and you will find joy in obedience There's never any regrets when we pray to Jesus and let him lead us to obey and lead us to serve him. Amen.